Uh, we feel loved. I, you know, the older I get, I, say, I, I like to kind of avoid the birthdays a little bit. And the, the milestones that I enjoy is talking about how long we've been married. And uh, praise God, we're, next month we're coming up on 24 years. And Yeah. Uh, also, before I move on to the message today, you know, this, this weekend was quite special. We had um, my dad's side of the family in because my grandmother, Lenora Keller Ralph, turns 90 on Tuesday. And so we have my Uncle David and Aunt Val here today sitting with her, and Grandma's wearing her tiara, and uh, she can let it be her day. Well, we're going through this series called Level Up. Everyone say Level Up. Now, I'm going to ask this question. I think your natural heart's desire is to shoot your, your arm up, but I really want you to think when I ask you, who wants to grow as a follower of Jesus? You say, I want to grow as a follower of Jesus. And so when you start thinking about what it means to grow, growth means change, doesn't it? Growth means excelling, going from one point to another point. And, you know, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, arguably the best sermon ever preached, he emphasized three things every follower should do. And so he lists these three expectations for a believer. The first one is in Matthew chapter 6, verse 2. He says, when you give. And so it's implied that it's natural desire of ours to give. Give, as Pastor Kelly talked about, our time, our resources. You know, dedicating that, that back unto the Lord and saying it is yours. Matthew 6, 5. When you pray. We can all agree that's an essential part of, of a believer, isn't it? In fact, I think out of the three listed here, many of us would say, well, that's, that's the one that seems easiest and most natural to me. Matthew 6.16, he says, and when you fast. And when you fast. Like that is an expectation of the believer. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. And so now, when I say, do you want to grow as a follower of Christ, evaluate if these are the expectations of a believer, as Christ has stated, am I doing those things? Because I think when we, when we look at those three things, and when we truly evaluate, as we were encouraged to do during communion, you know, Paul tells us to evaluate ourselves before partaking of communion. And can we truly evaluate ourselves right now and ask, am I faithful in giving? Am I faithful in praying? Am I faithful in fasting. Now, I believe all three of those are challenging to our flesh. Amen? All three of them are challenging to our flesh, but the more we tap into the things of the Spirit, the easier they become. 
And I believe that there are times where the church is called to corporately fast. But I also believe fasting should be a regular practice as individuals. Are you hearing me? People don't like this sermon. Okay? I'm just telling you right now. They hear it and they're like, oh, you know, this is a good week to be on vacation. You know? But our natural desires are when we hear pastors talk about fasting, we can fast for maybe key situations. But also, I believe it is important for a believer to regularly fast so that we are putting into practice the disciplines of spirit over flesh. You hearing me? So I want to tell you about when I regularly fast. And I I think it's important to know that when we talk about fasting, I am not doing this to be puffed up. I am simply telling you how I fast. I fast every Sunday morning. So the plan is whenever I have dinner on Saturday night, I do not eat anything until service is over on Sunday. And normally I don't really eat dinner until later this evening. And so what I do is I do a what's called a regular fast. And we're going to talk about the differences here later. But I do a regular fast. So I will will drink, but I won't eat. And what I believe is, I believe that that is necessary where doing that kind of fast, where I am seeking the Lord's direction, I am also telling this flesh, it is time to yield yourself to the things of the Spirit. Amen? That's what it's all about. So, Wendy and I are pastors in Illinois. We're in a small town. We're we're pastoring in a small town called Prairie City. Prairie City is maybe 350 people, and that's what they put on the sign, right? The only business in town was a nursing home, okay? So it was a struggle. It, 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 you know, it goes without saying, right? It was a struggle. And it was a tough community also to tap into because if, if you weren't born there, if you haven't like married into the family and been there a long time, if you just move into that community, it is going to be tough to become a part of that community. Now, I, I can say for our time in Illinois, and we were there for five years, um, we bought a house there. The boys had great teachers. Uh, They had understanding teachers, which meant the world to us. And we had become close to the people in the church. But my regional director had kind of known my heart and what I was desiring. and He called about an opportunity to pastor a church in Waterloo, Iowa. And here's the thing. It wasn't an easy decision. It was a tough situation. The region region dismissed the former pastor who had been there 14 years. And he had started up a new church, took half the congregation with him in starting up this new church. But 
I was told there's a ton of potential. You guys hear the sale? And I'm like, I, I hear the potential, but I also hear about everything else. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. And so I said, I'm telling you what I'll do. I'm going to fast and pray about it for three days. And then I'll get back to you. I'll get back to you at the end of the week. And so I committed to a regular fast. So I am taking drink, no food. And during the times where the family would be eating or time spent preparing the meal, I am off praying. Now this is key for fasting. I want you to hear what I'm telling you here. I am off praying, and I remember the first day, and I, I'd, I'd never done a three-day fast before. I'd fasted plenty of times for 24 hours, but never for three days. That first day, the whole time in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, i got to do this three days. And the first day is always the hardest. It always is. And so I'm just sitting there thinking about food the whole time, and I am feeling no ounce whatsoever of a spiritual connection to the Lord. In fact, I, I remember praying in our bedroom, and I thought, this pillow looks mighty tasty right now, you know? And so here I am, I am just, I'm just praying for some kind of inkling from the Lord, and, and there's nothing, and day two comes, and I, I'm seeking God. I'm like, God, like this is a life-changing decision. I really need to hear from you. And so I am just crying out to the Lord, nothing. And this is a good lesson for you because I believe that if you hear nothing from the Lord on a life-changing decision, what does that mean you should do? Nothing. Okay, so you're all on the same page with me. Um, day three comes. And I remember it's lunchtime, and I'm praying, and I'm like, okay, God, it's, it's now or never is basically what I said. And... God directed me toward a prophecy someone placed over me. And what was so funny about it was the person who prophesied over me, I dismissed right away. She was in our church. She was someone that you're like, that is not an example to follow. So... And she talks crazy half the time, so I'm just, you know, I'm going to take it with a grain of salt. Well, but it was about every other week, Pastor Morris, you're, I mean, this is going to resonate with you, I'm sure. It was about every other week, Pastor, I have a prophecy for you. I'm like, oh, great, here we go again. Okay. And this one she sent to me through email. It's the only one she ever did. She sent to me through email. And God says, I want you to go and I want you to look at that. And I went and I read it. And I remember when she gave it to me, she says, Pastor, look at all the guarantees for our church. And I just read it and I, I dismissed it. There I am, about probably two years later, I'm reading it. And it speaks exactly to the situation. I called Wendy into the bedroom and we talked about it. I just said, I, I don't know what to do with this because it, it came from 
Uh, I'm not even going to say her name because there's still people from there that watch us online. Uh, uh, But it came from her. That was the source. And here I am, and it's speaking to me about this situation. I don't know what to do. She's like, well, it seems like we only have one choice, right? we gotta, we got to test this out. I'm like, okay, here we go. And I knew it was time to step into the next calling. Fasting is critical for our lives. I want to read for you out of Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. It says, Jesus says, and when you fast. I want to hear everyone repeat that. And when you fast. Okay. Don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth. That is the only reward they will ever get. Now, sidebar, just for a moment. Do you know how many things I believe we can apply that to? If you are seeking any kind of honor or reward for mankind for the things that you do for God, that is all the honor or reward you're ever going to get. Verse 17, it says, But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face. No one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. Let's pray. Father God, I just want to thank you for your word. Lord, it is life-giving. And God, it causes us to grow. And so, Lord, as you have given us the building blocks for growth through your word, I pray, God, that we will discipline ourselves to apply it, that we might become more and more like your son. We thank you in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. amen. So, a reasonable question to ask, why fasting? Seriously, out of all the things that he could require of us, why on earth should we fast? Now, I'd like to say, we're, we're, we're going to break this down into two parts here, but by design, fasting is healthy. Fasting is healthy. And I can talk about the spiritual reasons, and that's where I'm going to start. The, the, it, it is spiritually healthy for us because it allows us to connect with God. But we can fast for the wrong reasons. Here are just a few. To be seen by others, as Jesus just mentioned here in six, Matthew 6, 18. There are people that fast to feel or be justified by God. I want to read for you out of Luke 18, 12 through 14. I love this section of scripture. Jesus says, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I am certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. 
But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I'm a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Church, I am telling you, your fasting does not make you better. It doesn't clean your slate. It isn't just another notch on your belt. Another wrong way is to fast to think that you're going to be commended to God. Listen to 1 Corinthians 8.8. Paul says, it's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it, and we don't gain anything if we do. So just because you feel that maybe fasting could be some sort of penance to God, you know what, save it. Save it. That's not what it's about. Here, Paul was specifically talking about food that had been offered to idols, but he's illustrating that we aren't worse if we eat or better if we do not eat. Did you see that? And so fasting doesn't cause us to earn anything here on earth. But we do know by our private life with God, he will reward us. And that's what Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 6. But there isn't a point system for fasting. Just because you got it down and someone else has it down and you did one more day than them, means nothing to God. That's not what it's about. But I want you to hear this. Fasting helps us be more receptive to what God wants to do in us and through us. So here's the right reasons, and it's all contained in a scripture. And I want to read out of Isaiah chapter 58, verses 3 through 8. Because there was a lot of people practicing fasting the wrong way. And God spoke directly to that. And I want to pick up in Isaiah 58, starting at verse 3. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? They're speaking to God here. We have been very hard on ourselves and you don't even notice it. This is God's response. Are you ready? I will tell you why. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? Who hears that? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No. This is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. 
and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. What is God saying here? What's he really saying? Fasting connects us with God for the heart of his people. Imagine the spiritual benefit of your fast for the needs of others, the burdens of others, and the Spirit of God opening up a door for them to connect with the God of the universe in a unique and meaningful way because you chose to fast for God. There's also a physical benefit. I don't know if you follow the diet world, maybe like I do, but the most popular diet right now is intermittent fasting. That is the most suggested diet right now. So if you don't know what intermittent fasting is, it is basically, it's, it's promoting physical benefits of abstaining from food periodically because what it does is it, it, gives, it provides for you a metabolic reset and that's, that truly occurs when we choose to fast. And so for in, intermittent fasting, to promote it, it's, it's you fast for 16 hours of a 24-hour period and, so, and you can eat during the period of, say, 11 to 7 p.m. And so during that time, you might eat. The rest of the time, you're abstaining from food. And some people even make it shorter. They might eat from 12 to 6 and then call it good. And doctors have discovered that not only does fasting have positive effects on the body, but they recommend periodically fasting for emotional health. Isn't that fascinating? Your body, when it goes without food and has burned off all your glycogen, it switches to then burning fat. And so as much fat as some of us have, hear me out, we could go for a while without eating. That's all I'm saying, okay? And during this time, I want you to hear something. During this time, your body's immune system, it strengthens your, your heart rate and your blood pressure. It tends to go down and your body purges itself of impurities during this time. Could it be that God designed us to have benefits of connecting with him? When we yield, to the things of the Spirit over the things of the flesh. I was recently listening to a sports talk radio show, and this athlete was talking about how he had just done a three-day fast. And as you can imagine, no one on this sports talk radio show is a Christian, and this guy, he was promoting the benefits physically, but also he said he did it as a part of his faith. 
And so they were mocking it, and they were asking each other, you think you'd go without food for three days? And they're, they're kind of challenging one of their guys to do it. He said, fine, fine, I'll do it. I can do it. And they're saying, you won't make it a day. He says, no, I'm going to do it three days. And so he did. And then he came back the, the, the day that he could eat again, and they said, well, tell, tell us, how was it? And he said, honestly, it was amazing. He said, I, I didn't even expect that I'd feel so good by the time I was done. He said, I thought I'd just be starving by day three. He's like, the hardest day was day one. And we as the believer, we do this to connect with God. Because let me tell you what it does. It, it surrenders the desires of the flesh for the things of the Spirit. And I want you to think about this. If fasting was easy, and every time you did it, there'd be a huge spiritual awakening, everyone would do it, and the pastor would rarely need to talk on it. But fasting, what its purpose really is, it's motivated in teaching our flesh, our body, to yield to the needs of the Spirit. Listen to Galatians 5.17. It says, the sinful nature, it wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Imagine if we can teach the flesh to yield to the things of the Spirit, you might find yourself starting to carry out some of those good intentions. Jesus spoke to the weakness of the flesh when he wanted three of his disciples to pray with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. They kept falling asleep. They did not realize the hour they were in that soon Jesus was about to be taken away. And in Matthew 26, 41, as he's frustrated because they keep falling asleep and he is just in agony over what is about to take place, he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So here's the thing about, about Christians. I hear so many with good intentions they have all these desires that I believe God has birthed in them. They long for this connection with God and, and to, to tap into that spirit nature and not be so overcome by all the things of the flesh. But the flesh is so weak that we find ourselves giving in time and time and time again. I think this is important. If you're, if you're listening to this and you're a note taker, you might want to write this down. Don't expect a mountaintop experience. Don't expect it. Because when people hear about fasting, we might use words like life-changing. And if you apply it to your life, I, I, I want to tell you first off, it is life-changing. But it's not going to change your life immediately. 
It's one of those things that when you learn the practice of that discipline, it becomes life-changing. But so many, especially in the Pentecostal world, are looking for this high. This supernatural experience. And I'm telling you, you're going to come through it the first time and you're probably going to be disappointed. But at the same time, I can tell you, fasting is not pointless. And it does have great results, but our expectation versus reality are often very different. So that's why I wanted to tell you, when I fast, I'm doing it because I want clarity or discernment in my life. I want it to be a sacrifice to God and to display that I have greater spiritual needs than fleshly. That that is what I choose to be my nourishment. And so what I want to talk about today, I want to give you some building blocks as I believe that we have many in here that need to start picking up the practice of fasting. Amen? Okay. Here's the proper way to fast. We're going to be talking about four types of fasting later on, but I want to talk about the reasons right now. What, when should we fast? The first one, to acknowledge our dependence upon God and gain spiritual strength. Jesus did this in Luke chapter 4. He did it before he ever began his ministry. The second one, for confession, repentance, and favor. We find that in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4. Nehemiah did it on behalf of a nation. He, did, he also did it in the sight of the king, all because he was devastated about the state of Jerusalem, whose walls had been torn down for 90 years without repair. Third one. David did it to humble himself for God to intervene of injustice that he had seen. That's a reference to Psalm 35, 13. In 2 Samuel 12, he fasted for healing and a miraculous intervention. Just some ways to apply fasting. Number four. Fasting for spiritual breakthrough. An intervention. You know, Mordecai and the Jews fasted when they heard Haman's plot to destroy them. That's in Esther chapter 4, verse 3. In Isaiah 58, which we've already read, it instructs us to do this even when it is not for us being personally affected, but doing it for the sake of others. Number five, for worship. And committing to the ministry of the Lord. You know, the early church did this. They also fasted for guidance, confirmation, the appointment of elders. You can find references for that in Acts chapter 13, verse 2. Acts chapter 14, verse 23. But what this tells me is, because we can find many times in our lives where these things will naturally occur, where we might be called to fast or instructed to fast. And so we have to do this for the sake of disciplining ourselves in season and out of season. Have you heard that phrase before? 
You know, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, Paul exhorts Timothy to be prepared in season and out of season. And I think fasting is one of those things that helps us achieve that because of that regular discipline. And so something that you might notice in your life is when we go through moments or seasons where our relationship with God is easy. It comes natural. It's, it, it's like we want nothing more than to be close to God. And then we can find ourselves in seasons where it is difficult. It is just a slugfest, just getting yourself maybe to pray, maybe to read your Bible, maybe to hear from the Lord, maybe to go to church. I put this in the context of the relationship that I have with, with my wife, you know. There are seasons where we're just so deeply in love and there's, there's nothing we're doing to cause that. It's just the emotions we're feeling. And then there's other times where you guys know that love is an action, right? It takes work. And I'll, I'll speak more for her than for me, you know. Sometimes it... it takes a lot of work to love me. But you know what? That is that in season, out of season. And the reality is not everything is perfect. And so by fasting, it helps us prepare to be spiritually ready for the unexpected. In Mark chapter 9, verses 21 through 29, the disciples were trying to cast out a demon and they couldn't. And Jesus told them in Mark uh, 9, 28 through 29, he says, Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, Why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Jesus replied, This kind can only be cast out by prayer. And there, there, there are other translations that say prayer and prayer fasting. And what we learn when we read that is that the disciples particularly, this is something interesting, that it's not talked about in this gospel, but we can, we can bring together from other gospels. Do you know Jesus' disciples did not fast in his presence? They didn't fast in his presence. And so how could they be prepared to cast out a demon that would require them fasting? Now, I've got a reference for this. John the Baptist, he, he had disciples, and they noticed Jesus' disciples didn't fast, and they pointed it out. And listen to how Jesus responded. In Matthew 9, 15, Jesus replied, Do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not, but someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Later when Jesus died, it says the disciples mourned and they had no desire to eat. They had Jesus in the flesh with them. We don't have that. And Paul tells us to be ready at all times because we do not know what we are going to face on a daily basis. Amen? There are things that, that you might have to speak to on that day where you need to be spiritually prepared. And sometimes you don't feel very spiritual. But you know what? You're going to discipline yourself nonetheless.
Lastly, the, the way I want to finish this up, because this is one of those sermons that altar calls look different. They just do. Who knows that in any service there needs to be the worship, there needs to be the word of God, and then there needs to be the work. Sometimes the work becomes a homework assignment. You hearing me? You still love me? Some of you are telling the truth. I want to cover the four types of fasts. The first biblical fast in Scripture is a partial fast. Everyone say partial fast. We can find a partial fast referenced in Daniel. And Daniel, he, he, he started this, he did it for 10 days. And then later he did it for 21 days where he abstained basically from the delicacies from the king. There was no meat, no bread, no sugar, no wine. Some of you hear those four things listed and you're like, well, what's left? But God honored their fast and showed the king they were not only healthy, but stronger than the men that ate the delicacies from the king's table. The second, not very popular, is the sexual fast. I want to talk about this for a minute. I think it's important. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 5 through 6. It says, Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. Now, I, I want to start out by the purpose of this is to prioritize what is important. The most important thing in my marriage is my relationship with God and my wife's relationship with God. Are you hearing me? That is the most important thing in my marriage. There is nothing that should come before that. And if anything does, we need to put ourselves in check. Are you hearing me? Because I know that, that sometimes hearing this, particularly this subject, is not popular. And a lot of, a lot of biblical principles contradict modern-day culture. Now, I, I feel that this should be obvious, but I need to state it. If you are not married, it is God's purpose for you to be celibate. Are you hearing me? It is God's purpose for you to be celibate until you are married. And if you struggle with lust, that's part of celibacy, if you struggle with lust, make it a regular practice to pray. Now here's the part that's not talked about that I want to highlight. I'm talking to you married people specifically. Notice what Paul says here in verse 5. I want to cover it again. 
says, do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree. You hearing me? Unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. There are so many married couples that withhold sex as a weapon. That is not godly. That is not godly. I want you to hear me. It's not godly. You need when you enter into that covenant, I am declaring that I am fully hers. She is declaring she is fully mine. And that is something that we agree upon. Are you hearing me? And so when you choose to do something like this, this is something both people need to see the purpose in it. Okay? Wanted to be clear about that. There's also, I've alluded to it many times here, the regular fast. A regular fast, basically the design of it is just having water or juice and doing it for an extended period of time. It is, it is fair to believe that this was the fast Jesus did in Luke chapter 4. Um, now, Jesus was in the wilderness, described also as the desert. Um, the human body, you cannot take yourself much more beyond three days without water. This is the fast I do most of the time. A regular fast. I abstain from food. The nourishment that I get from drink is very little. Because I want it to be a sacrifice unto the Lord. The fourth, a full fast. A full fast is a total fast. No food, no drink. Paul went on a, 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 on a full fast for three days following his encounter with Jesus. You find that in Acts 9.9. According to Deuteronomy 9.9 and 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 8, Moses and Elisha, respectively, went on a supernatural full fast for 40 days. That's got to be the Spirit of God providing. I must say that anytime you enter a fast, I know some people, they always have health concerns and they want to ask me, well, Pastor, I've got all these concerns. What do I do? You know what? Let the Lord speak to you on that. Let your doctor guide you a little bit in that. And I'm just going to tell you that when you give up something that is truly a sacrifice. Are you hearing me? When it's truly a sacrifice, then it's a fast. When you're truly disciplining your physical nature to surrender to your spirit nature. I've heard many people say, I've got a great idea. The church is doing a community fast. I am going to fast chocolate for 40 days. How much chocolate do you eat, man? Like, seriously. Like, I, 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 can, I can appreciate, like, a true sacrifice if you're like, Pastor, I live off chocolate. Well, 
good for you. It's amazing that you're not 600 pounds first off. But, you know, at, at the same time, if that's what you want to fast, go for it. But to me, that doesn't sound like much of a sacrifice for most people, right? I remember when I was in Bible college, and, you know, Bible college, you can run on energy drinks and whatnot all day long, and someone decided, well, I'm going to fast coffee. You know, are you dependent upon that stuff night and day? Don't answer that, some of you. Um, What we give up needs to be a true sacrifice. What we give up needs to be just kicking against every fleshly desire. And so, those little questions about what should I fast, what shouldn't I fast, determine it based off the four things that I just read to you. Partial fast, sexual fast, regular fast, full fast. Then let the Lord work. Let the Lord help guide you. But to go back to where we all start today as I close, Jesus gives us three expectations. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. And ask yourself, am I following these expectations? I want you to bow your heads. Lord, I just want to thank you, Lord, for your word and the truth that it brings to our lives. And God, it is the true nourishment that we need. And God, I pray for each and every person in this room to be open to the evaluation of your Holy Spirit. That, Lord, we'll be open to what we are doing what we are not doing that you expect. And God, we will learn what it means to yield to you. And God, I believe the greatest response that we can do to your word is not something that can be seen publicly. But Lord, it's something that is done privately. where we aren't concerned if others take note of what we're doing or not, but, Lord, that our heart is in the right place with you. And so, God, I pray that the response occurs today when we walk outside these doors. And that, God, as we allow ourselves to be challenged by your word, that we, if we truly want to grow, then we're going to change and we're going to make the necessary steps. And so, God, I pray right now for those whose hearts you are working on, that there will be purposeful intent on connecting with you through fasting. That God, when they leave this place, Lord, and and your Holy Spirit will allow them to, to shake this feeling of what they need to do, that God, whether they have to write it on their calendar, whether they have to set aside appointments, lunch appointments they've made, whatever it might be, 
to say, God, this time is going to be yours. And that, God, we can truly tap into the things of the Spirit so that, Lord, we can be directed from you. Lord, that we can be prepared in season and out. And that, God, ultimately, we are just teaching ourselves to rely on you for our needs. I thank you, God. I praise you for who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name.